Thank you to our sponsors, Lead IQ, Costello, Sales Loft, WorkRamp, and DialPad for helping us produce this podcast. Head over to jbarrows.com slash blog for the highlights of this episode and explore resources you can use right away. Let's make it happen. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows with Make It Happen Mondays. Hopefully you all had a fantastic weekend. I am up for this conversation because I've actually been toying around with some of the things that this person's an expert in. And I'm curious a lot for myself on how he's using some of the tools that we're going to talk about today. But I'd like to introduce everybody over to Tom Williams, the CEO and co-founder of DealPoint. So Tom, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thanks so much for having me, John. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, Tom, you want to give everybody a little bit of a background? Uh, again, you started DealPoint about four years ago, give or take. Um, but kind of give, give talk to people about kind of where you're coming from. And then first of all, what is DealPoint? Why just start it? And then I think that'll translate into our conversation here. Sure. So I started off in marketing for years and years. And then I was in a board meeting one time. I was the VP of marketing and the VP of sales came in and sales weren't doing so hot. And he goes, I don't know what the hell happened. And the next week, I became the VP of sales and marketing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, they said, it can be you or it can be somebody else. And sales was kind of was thrust upon me th- all those years ago. But I really got into it because when, when marketing and sales reports to the same person, uh, I was able to see the vision and the messaging and all that actually get executed properly. Yeah. And if it didn't work, there was one person whose fault it was. And it made it a lot easier to, to iterate quickly. Uh, get feedback from customers, you know, kind of uh, un- undiluted feedback. Um, so anyway, so that's that's my my foray into into sales. Uh, so I was running these sales teams. In, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to ask just because I'm curious because you know, and this is a whole other topic, so I don't want to <laughs> want to have this uh, to be derailed here. But what do you uh, what do you see as the biggest divide between sales and marketing? Is it that feedback loop? Like with your experience now on both sides and then doing both at the same time and seeing how much better it can be when they're seamlessly working together. What do you think is like the main reason? Because I've been hearing about the sales and marketing divide for literally 20 years being in business, right? And I haven't heard it get any better. You know, what are you seeing right now as as the main divide between the two and the reasoning behind it? I think there's an early disconnect between what are the two organizations trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So the the better teams, marketing is actually treating sales like a customer. And so they're doing what, what you'd consider just standard sales operation, which is what problems do you have? And if, if I can come up with the solution, would you use it? You know, walk them down that, that qualification path and then say, you said you would use it, so why aren't you using it? There you go. And if a marketer applies that sales logics on a sales organization, then actually the salesperson gets their problem fixed. Well, but I see a lot, the disconnect is uh, they want to make, say, the CEO look good. And so they put all this effort into making the CDO or the product or the company look good. Whereas what salespeople want is, how do I close this goddamn deal tomorrow? Because right. I keep hearing this one objection and I got nothing. Yeah. That's, that's where real marketing can come in is either preempt the objection by getting good marketing up front or at least have some kind of backup so that they can fall back on a, a nice piece of collateral or a message or an answer. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a piece of paper. It can be an answer. Yeah. Uh, but just equip the sales team with what they want and they will, they will love you. Just yeah. they, it's so much easier, you know, they're, they're busy. So they would much rather just have their two pieces of collateral, their go-tos on their desktop. And they didn't even know that marketing wants to help. 
that's 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 my two cents. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's the sales reps are looking for the very tactical things that work, right? Yeah. Like even even like to your point, what questions to, should I ask or how should I handle that objection or, you know, what should I put in a subject line to a CFO of an IT services firm, you know, that type of stuff. Like, and it's funny because you're right, if marketing, and that's why, you know, from a training standpoint, I think one of the reasons uh, people gravitate towards our training is because we're very, very technique oriented. And it's like, hey, just do this and try it, see what happens. And then when they see that result, it's like, it's an immediate, oh, yeah. holy crap, this works. And now I'm wide open to what you're about to tell me, right? And I think that's what marketing does miss is that they come up with these grandiose programs and all this messaging and all this other stuff, but they miss the the tactical stuff that the reps will see an immediate impact with. And therefore they they, they don't bridge that gap of credibility right I mean a lot of the stuff that they're doing is great but I I need as a sales rep show me why you know what you're doing is going to help me in any way shape or form for my day-to-day right yeah you, you can you can you can present the Treaty of Versailles which is a, a fantastic document on how to it stop is. a war yep. or you can say guys we're gonna go and take that trench you go around the left yeah. you go around the right and just start shooting <laughs> and uh, two different mindsets but they ultimately yeah. sales needs to know what do I do tomorrow exactly so so did that lead you to deal point is that led you to yeah uh, yeah so where that led with deal point was i i was in the electronics industry and my sales guys would say you know guaranteed close by the end of the month and then from time to time i would call the prospect and they'd say hey, we're thinking about it and i realized it was this complete disconnect because the sales guys had the crm that um i they didn't get paid commission until they filled in the information in salesforce yeah. so i had they had they had great CRM, but the sales, uh, sorry, the buyers didn't have that view. And so I left electronics and went into uh, enterprise SaaS. So completely different industry, completely different everything, but the exact same problem. Mm. And I just woke up, I don't know, three and a half years ago, middle of the night, proper realization that it's because they weren't on the same page. So if the buying team looks at the, the same stage of where are we and what's happening, what's next as the selling team, then there's a lot less likely to be that kind of fundamental miscommunication that caused my forecast to be inaccurate because yeah. I was listening to the sales guys who were listening to their happy ears instead of their customers. Yeah. And that's it. Like, that's the problem with it that I see in sales is, is, and I always tell people this all the time, like, I love sales. I hate the game of sales, though. I hate, like, the back and forth with the customer. I mean, I did a keynote a little while ago, and I put up a chicken and the egg, right? And I said, hey, what happened first? What came first? Did the customer lie to the sales rep or did the sales rep lie to the customer? Right? Because somewhere, like, you know, my daughter's nine years old, right? And early, early years, right, you teach don't, you know, one of the first things you teach your kid is don't lie, right? Like, be honest, don't lie. But somewhere around the way, it became 100% okay to boldface lie to sales reps. You know what I mean? Like, like walk, I mean, a simple example is you walk into like one of those massive warehouse stores, right? You know what you want, but you don't know where it is. And that sales <laughs> rep comes charging up to you with their hand out. And they're like, hi, thanks for coming in. How can I help you, right? And the reaction of most people is, I'm all set. I'm just looking, right? Yeah, yeah and they, they don't want to get sold to Right. They, they will wander around that massive warehouse for hours looking for something when all they had to do was say, hey, I'm looking for this. And they said, oh, yeah, it's aisle 19. Right. So so it's OK to lie. But so let's talk about that transparency. Like, how do you breed transparency throughout the sales process so you can be aligned with the buyer 
and and those happy years don't happen because it's more realistic. Like, what are some of the things that that you're seeing um, to to allow for that transparency, if you will, to to control the sales process a little bit more? So so it's it's all related to becoming trusted because mm-hmm. their transparency isn't going to come through on the first on the first call. No way. Uh, they don't know you. Right. So the step one, I think, is show them that you really are interested in helping them. And it's, it's a fundamental shift of I'm not I'm not trying to sell you my thing and show off my thing yeah. and let you figure out how to use it. I am genuinely coming to this to hear about your issues, see if I know anything about it, and see if I can help you solve your problem. Because you write about proactive disqualification, right? So yes. do, do you believe in disqualifying more than qualifying? I, I think you can. I actually, I did a, like a spreadsheet on this. You can, it's, it's scary how much time we spend on each section of the, on each stage of the deal, how much time we spend on deals that ultimately don't close. Right. If you add that up into more prospecting time, you can 5X your revenue. Oh, easily. Uh, just, I mean, it's, it's, of course, you don't know which ones to disqualify up front, right, right, but right. the better you are at it, the more you can trend towards only focusing on, on winning deals. But part of that is understanding what the priorities or initiatives are of the customer. So if you if you genuinely start with I, I love uh, why did you take my call? Yep. Because there was something in your cold call or a marketing's email or something that was the genesis for them being willing to spend time with you. Yep. And the other key is to to be willing to be quiet for a couple of seconds and not fill the vacuum. Let them talk a bit about what their issue is then give them feedback on if you've seen that somewhere else in the industry. And if you've sold it to somebody else, then you've seen some feedback that they would find useful because you've sold your thing a hundred times, but they've never bought your thing. Mm-hmm. So you have probably got some insight having talked to other people in the industry, share that insight. And now it's going to be a much more give and take. We're talking about their industry and their problems and things that you know about it. That is building up trust and credibility. Uh, agreed, and 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 you talk about priorities, right? Because I'm a big, I'm I've always been a believer that you know when your CEO stood up and you like when you, for instance, with your organization, when you stand up at the beginning of next year and you do your sales kickoff with your team and say, all right, here's the guiding, like here's the things that we need to do this year to be successful, right? Mm-hmm. I've always believed that if I can't tie my solution to one or two of those, like that you're talking about, then good luck selling anything of significance, right? Mm-hmm. But the and I've always been a priority based seller because I also believe that's the only way you can truly. I don't believe you can create urgency. I believe you can uncover urgency and tie your solution, and that's about like helping me understand where you're trying to get to, right? Because what yeah. you don't see is you you don't see how my solution can help you get to where you're going faster, right? Yeah, exa- I mean, exactly. With a with me, and I'm sure you're doing the same thing. Like with your executive team, right? Like I a couple couple weeks back, I sat down with my executive team and we mapped out. Hey, end of the year, we kind of know where things are coming in at this point. So let's talk about next year, and we set our goals. And it's funny, you know, midway through. So we and then we mapped out everything about who's going to be responsible for what. You know, midway through the year, there's not a chance that some sales rep's going to give me this cold call and all of a sudden reshift what my priorities are. Right. As far as creating urgency. Right. And be like, hey, John, I got this new fun widget. Oh, yeah. You know what? Let me dump all that stuff I was thinking about. Let me. uh, That's a great idea. Like that's not going to happen. But what they can do is understand what those priorities are and tie their solution to that that I didn't see. Yeah. I think I love the, the thing that really sold me on this approach was they have budget for that initiative. It's already there's budget allocated. 
And trying to win new budget is brutal, infinitely harder than um, saying, well, you, you want to get this project finished? I have helped 10 other people finish the project just like that. And they use this solution. Uh, it's a real one, two, three. And, and the, the coolest part is, uh, and you've written a lot about going dark and how to handle <sighs> ghosting. If, if they go dark on that, then instead of saying, I'm just calling to follow up, you're saying, how's your initiative going? Yeah. Because the way I've sold this thing before, and it takes six weeks to implement, so you're going to miss your initiative if we don't get, if we don't get this milestone up and running like now. As a way, or have you changed your mind? Yeah. And either exactly. one is fine because I can either spend my time helping somebody else or I can help us get back on track. But I, I'm just, John, yeah, I'm just, I'm just calling to follow up on my email that yeah, was following stupid. up on my voicemail. There's zero value there. So. Zero. Uh, so, yeah, you got to understand what they're actually worried. And you know, there's there's two points because they have like you have a business initiative that's yep. written on your whiteboard someplace, mm-hmm. but you also have um, like emotional drivers that are separate to that business initiative. Mm-hmm. And so, as a good salesperson, you can get a, a sense. And this this takes multiple calls. Well, sure, yeah. But you can get into quickly what's on their whiteboard. That's a fact, yep. and then try to find out what's driving them emotionally. Because I firmly believe that people make decisions based on emotion yep. and then they look for a rational framework to justify it. 100%. And you can use that, which I'm going to help you. Uh, like sales managers are often afraid they're going to misforecast and lose their job. Yep. And what's on the wall is grow sales by 25%. But what's really driving them is blowing the forecast or looking like an idiot to their uh, other members of the executive team. Yeah. And so those are the things to work with to get your thing in place. How do you come across those? How do you dig into those priorities though? Right. Cause, cause when I was a, you know, a kid in sales, you know, I, I always, again, fundamentally understood. I had to understand what those priorities were, but I, I always took a very, I want to say generic or, or lazy approach to it by simply stating, you know, what are your priorities? And what I found was by asking a very general statement, like, you know, general question like that, or making a general statement, I would usually get very general answers like, oh, revenue, oh, we're trying to do this, right? So what are some ways that early on you can build enough trust um, with a with a prospect to to be able to really uncover and have them open up about what their priorities are, right? Because it takes trust for me for you to even tell me what your priorities are. So how do you do that in a way that that um, you know without simply just saying, "Tell me about your priorities"? So I think the trust comes in from having a an insightful guess as to what it might be. Yeah. So uh, your senior executives who are in this industry should know some insight about your industry that, that both you as a seller and yeah. the buyer are both in a similar industry. Uh, so either ask your executives, and I, I love the idea of if you're a junior salesperson, ask the, the vice president of sales or even uh, the president, can I take you out to lunch? Yep. I want to ask you what trends you're seeing in the industry. Uh, the one cool thing is, one, you get immediately flagged as somebody worth noting. Absolutely. Two, you will not have to buy lunch. I promise <laughs> that the other guy is going to buy lunch. Yeah. Uh, but then you get an insight into some kind of trend. And then when you're having your call, you know, assuming you've you already asked the, um, why did you take my call part? Yeah. And then, then you can say, well, we're seeing this trend and yeah. there's a, there's a you know, five or six of my other customers have made um, it the basis of an initiative. Is that something that you're worrying about too? And so 
either you nailed it or they can see that at least you know about things in their industry so that you're not just a nobbin. Uh, you're somebody who you know, is, is in, in, the, in the trenches. And then they say, well, we were worrying about that, but we did that last year. And now we're focused on something completely different. Uh, or they can say, no, we're not worried about that at all. In which case, you're probably not going to get the sale this year because to your point, it's halfway through. But at least you can do a long tail uh, play now on getting them to be more aware about that issue that you can solve. So yeah, yeah go, go in with an educated guess. Uh, one guy I know uses a, a screenshot of a whiteboard from another one of his customers. Nice. To say, I bet you're working on something that looks like this in the back. <laughs> and they say, oh, you, have, you wouldn't believe what ours looks like. And they, <laughs> now they're comparing whiteboards. And that guy uh, is, has Insta credibility. I love that. And it's, it's kind of that whole, you know, the idea of, it's like business acumen, right? I think, I think sales, yeah. it's, it's a hard, sales is tough, right? Because we're, we're, we're very uneducated in our profession in general, right? We, most of us fall into sales. Uh, I was, I have a marketing background just like you, right? Um, and, and so we, and we, you know, and, and now there's training and there's tips and there's structure and there's process and all that other stuff. But what, I think is missing. And if I could go back and tell my 22 year old self something like, what would it be? Um, it would be to take your business acumen way more proactively, right? Really like read the books that's that executives read. And, and to your point of, of under going in with a little bit of context, right? Instead of walking in and saying, tell me about your priorities. If I'm meeting with a VP of sales or a CEO of a SaaS company like yours, I'm going to go online beforehand and go literally Google CEOs, uh, SaaS priorities, 2019. Yeah. Right. So actually, that's something I did do for, for DealPoint. I, I looked up the um, top priorities for sales leaders and the top causes for getting fired for sales yeah. leaders. Yeah. And I found a couple of different studies. And then what I did was I ranked the features that my product uh, solves for against wow. them. So the number one and the number two, like, we nail it. We, we have a great story for how DealPoint helps those two yeah. Number three and number four, it was on it was on staff retention, and we don't really we don't do that, so yeah. we don't have a story there. And but then I was able to listen to which of the priorities were they on, and instantly I had a theme that we could talk about yeah. from the initiative because the chances are high that the the guy you're talking to is is dealing on one of the top ten priorities of their of their industry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah I, I, I it. and and that's where marketing can really come in. And work with sales team to, to have that. that sheet ready. I made it myself, and I, I, I love it when salespeople take the initiative themselves. Yeah, uh, it makes me a little bit sad as a leader that the sales uh, organization isn't doing this. But that's yeah. why you see, you know, you always see two salespeople in an org who just kick ass over everybody else. It's because they made the little sheet, and, well, and I mean, and some people are, are willing to share the little sheet. True, <laughs> but but ideally they share. But they, and, and they did the homework, right? Like, and, and this is where I talk about from an onboarding standpoint, and I, and I want to get into this with your mutual action plans, but, you know, structure, right, versus scripts. I think a, a huge mistake most organizations make when they, when they onboard, and I get it because they're trying to do it from an efficiency standpoint, is that when a, com when a kid comes on board, they, they give them their ICP. Okay, here's, here's our ICP, ideal customer profile, and here's your list that fit that ICP, right? 
Uh, and then here's our personas. Sally, she's a CIO and she likes innovation, right? And and they kind of they, they genericize kind of what Sally's priorities are. And so you teach a you give a kid who's coming out of school, and most kids these days, at least in the states, they're being taught to the test, right? So they're so they're memorizing certain things. You come out into the real world and you give them that script. That's what they're going to do. They're they're going to have no context around it. They're just going to regurgitate. And when you go up to a CTO or you know executive have conversation and you just regurgitate that one thing that might sound interesting, but there's no real true understanding, they'll shred you. They'll sniff that out in a second. So what I've done is like with Morgan, the kid, you know, I hired him a couple years ago, instead of saying, Hey, here's our ICP. I said, here's our 10, here's our 10 best customers. Go figure out why. Go figure out the characteristics that make these our 10 best customers, right? Interview them, look on their websites, do some research and find the commonalities. Mm Then here's the ICPs. We go after VPs of sales, CROs, and VPs of enablement. Go figure out what these people care about. And what he did was, you know, VPs of enablement, he's never sold to VPs of enablement before he came on board with me. So he did some research, but he also went on LinkedIn and he, and he said, hey, I just joined Jay Barrow Sales Training and we are, you know, our main persona is VPs of enablement. I've never sold to VPs of enablement before. Would anybody be, anybody out there who's a VP of enablement would be open to jumping on a call with me and just giving me some insights as to what your day, day-to-day life is? He got like 50 people jumping on board saying, oh yeah, Morgan, happy to help. So now when he's calling VPs of enablement, He's not reading off of a piece of paper. He's actually like, oh yeah, you know what? I remember I was actually having a conversation with so-and-so and and they said that their main thing was this. Sounds like you're facing the same challenge, right? It's just, it, 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 I don't know why. I I recommend the exact same thing in terms of going to look. I I like to recommend go look at say 10 successful deals. Yep. uh, Because then, so yeah, you mentioned earlier, my my thing is proactive disqualification. Yeah, Yeah. So go, go look at deals and on a successful one, see what did you know at various stages throughout the deal and then look at some ones that you thought were going to close and end up choking and see if you can see is there a consistent choke point like you never got the vp of finance's name and now now you have some data to the like the profile of a good looking deal but again it's it's, it's all about going back to the real the real deals or the real customers rather than I, i i I come from marketing, but I really don't like the personas of Sally has 2.5 kids yeah. and she likes to watch Real Housewives. Right. Uh, it, you, you talk about putting somebody in a box. It, right. it is the exact opposite of what sales is supposed to be, which is understanding each other. Yeah. So, so let's talk now. So, so you've had a few comments. You've done a little bit of homework walking in the door. You show that you're somewhat competent from a business acumen standpoint. You have some context around your questions around the priorities, right? So you're now uncovering some trust. You, you know, now you're building some trust. And, and it looks like, and, and you've asked the right questions, right? Because you're disqualifying a little bit more and you're qualifying. And so you're like, all right, this, this kind of looks like a fish, smells like a fish. Let's, let, let's kind of keep moving in this direction here. And so after that initial call, let's talk about this mutual action plan. Because I, I, I'm, I, I've never personally used a formal mutual action plan, right? Mm-hmm. Now, also, just as a caveat, my ACV is, you know, thirty dollars to $40,000. You know, sales cycle is 42 days on average. And, yeah. um, I, you know, I have two to three stakeholders, right? So it's not, and I've never sold massively complex enterprise type deals, million dollars, stuff like that. So, so that's probably why I've aired. I actually take a very slim down version of it, which is kind of these... Because you, sum- you always say, make sure you get a next step Yep. And then follow up for that next meeting. Yeah. So in the summary email, right? Yeah, yeah. Some that is the mutual action. Plan. Well, that is an action plan. Right. It's not mutual, but then I do note that you say write back and let me know if this is inaccurate. 
That's the key. Now it's mutual because yeah. they've signed, they've, if not with an actual signature, but they have said, yeah, that, that, that sounds right. At least even if it's not a contract, you are, you're further ahead than you would have been without asking the question. And that's a huge indicator for me. Like, and I see, cause I, lo- I see a lot of companies, they'll, or reps, they'll send a summary, right. Of the discussion, but they'll just kind of send it as a note taking exercise. Yeah. Like, Hey Tom, thanks for the conversation. Here's what we talked about. Right. Yeah. But they don't look for the convert. And what I find is I, the, the numbers that we have is, um, I only get, even when I tell you it's coming. So I, the, I think a key here is making sure that you tell them it's coming. Like, hey, Tom, I'm going to send over this. Could you respond back, right? Even when you do that, you only get about a, I only get about a 30% response rate on that. But I'll tell you right now, the, the ones that I get that response rate on, I get a 90% close ratio. Yes. Yeah. The ones that I don't, I have a 60. So talk to me about your approach to mutual action plans because mine's a little bit looser, if you will, but there's still those indicators there. How do you introduce a mutual? When do you introduce it? First of all, take a step back. What is a mutual action plan uh, from your perspective? And then so how to use the idea it when of a mutual action it? plan comes where a lot of salespeople hear, great, I'm interested. I, I agree with your value proposal. Mm. And they think they're sold. They think it's, you know, it's done. Yeah. And really, in my, in my opinion, that's like you're actually at one, one third of the deal at that point. Yeah. Because now you've got to get to the nitty gritty of what buying process do we actually have to do? Like, is there a parent organization that's going to sign off on a deal this size? Yeah. Uh, is there a, a conflict with your um, ERP that's going to get in the way? There's a million things that can kill the deal, even though your champion wants to buy it. Yep. So um, you've done this before. Your, your sales team knows what the standard operating procedure is to buy your thing. So present that to them because you want to get out in the open that there is, there's going to be some work that your side has to do to buy my thing. Yep. And, if you get it out in the open, then you, you, you grow that credibility even more because it says, one, this guy's done this before. I'm not going to be left high. Because the, the biggest risk to a buyer is not the budget that they spend with you. It's that you leave them high and dry and they look like a dick for having brought you into their organization. You screw them. And the, the CEO doesn't get mad at, at you, the vendor. They get mad at the guy who brought you in. Absolutely. So your number one job is to keep that guys safe and make them feel safe that you're a good bet to, to go with and, and endorse. So you say, look, this is, this is the steps they're going to have to get done. So they feel that you know what, you know what to do. If they're not willing to do the work, then it's awesome to know that now rather than when the work's being done, because you're probably going to do a whole bunch of legwork. And actually a point that I heard just last week was when you show the work that you've already done, it puts uh, like a, a social obligation on them mm-hmm. not to blow you off. Because you can say, we had the first discovery. I did a bunch of value research and here's how our product would work for you. And I met with uh, the people in my engineering team and blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's meet per the agreement. That's a lot harder to blow off because you're a person and you did them a favor. Right. So you, you set up what's going to happen. You build trust and you understand what they're going to do then it's easier for them to marshal their resources inside their organization because they're able to show their boss, one, this is a trustworthy organization that I'm working with. They've done it before. Two, here are the resources we're going to need over the next six months to make this deal happen. And I think the the biggest uh, smart move you can do when you're listing those out is don't have your signature, like don't have closed deal be the last item in the plan 
Okay. The final item in the plan is them getting the benefit of whatever you've promised. Gotcha. So then we are all working. All this work is so that we can achieve this benefit to your organization and your initiative succeeds or, you know, whatever the thing is, whatever your value is, that's what you're working towards. The, the hardest question is when do you pop this question, you know, right. introduce yeah. it to them. Uh, earlier is better because if they have a parent company who will never sign off on anything, then you want to know that early. Yep. Uh, but I like to do it after you've established that value prop. So they say, yeah, I like this. I want to buy it. Um, then you say, okay, well, here's, here's the work that's going to have, have to have happen. You can, you can do like a, a big picture view earlier. If it's, if you have a lot of, um, if you have to do a lot of work to get that proof of concept, for example, uh, by all means, bring it up earlier and just say, you know, FYI, because just like with budget, you, you want to check, do you guys have a hundred grand of budget in your campaign to, to even be worth talking to? Likewise, you can say this is typically it's normally a six month sales process to implement this thing and get it checked through. And we normally have to talk to uh, these departments. Yeah. But the key is that it just it just grows your credibility up like crazy because you know what you're doing and they feel like they're in safe hands. I'll tell you. So when I was at Basho, you know, the previous training organization, and, and I still do it to this day, it's one of the favorite parts is it's this give get scorecard, right? And, and negotiations about gives and gets and, and the equality of them. And so we line up all the gives, what are the things that clients ask of you? What are all the things that you want from them? Point score them, right? So gives are easy to give away, hard to give away, uh, gets are early, late, right? And then you match them up. So when somebody asks for a five, you ask for a five in return, 10, 10 in return, and you score a deal. So I apply it as a very simple gut check objective to where I stand, right? But we, we did this training uh, for Semantic, as a matter of fact, and Semantic sells multi-million dollar deals, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've never, seen, I've never seen a group do this before, but what they did was they took the scorecard and they mapped it. So I usually have like 20 gives or gets. They mapped it out like the 40 or 50 gives or gets for these massive, huge deals, right? And not only did they map it out to the, the, the gives and the gets, they then said, okay, well, here's all the resources that are associated on both sides, so here's the people for each one of those gives, here's somebody on our side that we have to get involved. Here's for each one of the gets, here's what you need, right? And then they did a time estimate of how much it, it would take to do that. Then they job costed it out and they took, you know, average salary of, right? And what they came up with was this process where they said, like it, it cost, um, it would cost the client, it, there would be 15, I think it was 15 people that needed to be involved on the client side and about 20, 25 people that would need to be involved on semantic side and rough, you know, soft cost stuff. It was going to cost the client $20,000 just to make the decision. Okay. And it was going to cost semantic 30 or $40,000 just to help them make this decision. Right. Yeah. And no joke, going back to qualify versus disqualify, with the best reps that's demanded to do it, and I don't think I'd have the balls to do this, they would they walked in, and once they kind of said, okay, there's an opportunity here, they would sell their client, okay, look, we've mapped out our buying and you know what has to happen throughout this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Here's all the things that we need from you. Here's all the things that you're going to need from us. Here's the people that are going to be involved in each side. Here's the time, and here's how much it's going to cost. So it's going to cost you about $20,000, and it's going to take you about 15 people to make this decision. And by the way, that's when this decision goes well, and that's just with us. If you're going to evaluate three different vendors, mm -hmm. triple, the, triple the price, triple the resources. Yeah. You ready to go through this? Well, it's, it's exactly, I mean, that's exactly what Accenture would do when Accenture walks in. Yeah. They would only they would just start charging you the, the sixty grand. <laughs> they would they'd charge you the money on both sides. 
right? And it's and yeah. it, what what was beautiful about it, what I saw, and again, I don't think I'd have the stones to do that, especially walking into what could be a twenty million dollar deal. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're spending twenty million, like twenty thousand is nothing. But but what happened was like there would be people who are non sophisticated buyers who were just kicking tires, and they they'd literally immediately be like, ah, uh, no, like we are not at that stage yet. We are not ready to. Okay, good. Well, when you are, call us back. But the ones who said yes, yep, okay, that makes sense to us. Yeah. I mean, Semantic pretty much closed every one of those deals. Yeah, I mean, it is the perfect qualifier. And I love it that you're scaring them away. They were going to get scared away in six months anyway. They were going to, there's, there's, you can't hide the facts of the work that needs to get done. The work's <sighs> going to have to get done. And if, you, if you're sneaky about it, you're just going to do all the work for the first five months and then get jacked at the end. That's why I don't think sales reps understand. I think they're scared. I think it's a systemic issue because of where we are from a from a result standpoint. I mean, we are a very short term oriented society, right? You got to hit your daily quota, you know, your daily numbers and your weekly numbers and your monthly numbers, right? So, so the idea of of walking away from a deal that even smells reasonable is scary to most reps because they don't have a big pipeline. You know, they they find these deals, and but I can't. I think the best sales reps. I know the best sales reps I've ever come across are the ones that only focus their time on the right deals. Well, so the thing I love about a good mutual action plan, and I want to emphasize, uh, I've got a ton of these things from all sorts of different uh, salespeople who've made their own in a hundred different ways. Yeah. Uh, the, the cool part is it gives you a, an objective basis to disqualify somebody because you can say that boss, we were on stage milestone two. And they can't come up with the resources that we all know that they need. Yep. So you can have a, a put up or shut up call and then move on to those greener fields again. And the rep doesn't need to feel bad or did I leave money on the table? Because yep. all they need to do is look to see they like they didn't do milestone two. So why, why are you thinking about milestone three? Yep. Unless it's the super good reason why they don't want to do milestone two. And that's, again, now, now you're talking to the customer again about their, about their, their, their issues and, yep. You can move forward from that, but it's it's a tool to facilitate communication between the buyers and the sellers. And I would say the other thing I really like about mutual action plans is, you know, you need to get a hold of the different stakeholders on the on the buyer team, right? Yep. And that's something that the champion has traditionally been reluctant to just hand out. Because mm -hmm. when you say who who is your VP of finance, yeah, exactly, that typically doesn't go well. No. But if you say in, in, in milestone three, we need to have the financial signed off, who would be in charge of that? They're going to say that's John. Yeah. Is you're asking a reasonable question to help them get the thing they want over the finish line. So it's just much more rational and, and calm and everybody's on the same page. I love it. So have you ever seen a mutual action, a, a shitty mutual action plan or one that's, or a misused a, a, a mutual action plan that's been misused? Uh, I think the, the worst ones are where they, and I've only seen this a couple of times, where, you know, there's the concept of a closed plan that yeah. your rep and your manager work on. How are we going to close this guy? Right. <laughs> and then they use that internal sales terminology with, <laughs> with the end customer. So there's, there right. is no reference at all to their needs or pains or yeah. anything. It's just like, and the bottom is closed one. That does that does not make me feel good. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm very happy to have helped you with your boat payment, but that does not make me feel good as a, as a mutual party in this in this endeavor. Yeah, and and I think this goes you know going back to holding people accountable, right? Because I think this 
you know, the mutual action plan, if done right, and, and you map out the stages and this process and all that other stuff, you know, that allows you to push, right? Because now it's in their best interest and as opposed to yours. And, you know, I had a kid ask me recently, you know, I get a lot of this question, which is, John, how, how, how far can you push? Like, like, say it's coming to the end of the month, end of the quarter, right? Like, how hard can you or should you push on a client to close? And I'm like, well, the answer to that one's re- all relative, right? Because it, it has everything to do with how much of it is in your interest versus their interest, right? If it's in their interest because they have to have it by a certain date and if they don't, there'll be some significant impact to their business if they, you know, that type of thing, then yeah. you could and you, sh- you can and you should push as hard as you want because it's in their best interest. Whereas, well, it's all about the anchoring, right? Yeah. Whereas if it's in your best interest, because you just got to close about the end of the quarter, end of the month, you're just an asshole sales rep, right? I, I had I had a boss years ago who he's like, Tom, Tom, I've sold all our problems. I'm going to let you do a 25% discount. Oh, God. I, 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 was, I was just cringing. Oh, I was like, that, gross. That's not the problem, Paul. That That no. is, that's not the problem. No. that And discount selling, I I mean, you, you probably see it as much as I do, if not more. I think discount selling, how do you leverage discount? Because I think discount selling like literally destroys your credibility across the board. Unfortunately, we've gotten, you know, people to expect it. But when you, there's two types. There's one when somebody asks for a discount saying, hey, Tom, Mm -hmm. you know, come on, can you shave a little off the top here? And then you can kind of say, well, look, you know, are we going to get the deal? Sure, fine, whatever. But then there's the proactive discounting where it is the end of the month and I fire off that email that, you know. So what's your philosophy on discounting? I get all the time from, reps trying to sell me technology and then you know screaming deal at the end of the quarter yeah. i get offended by it because i feel like he was ripping me off last month exactly so, you know, what's the value what is the value of this thing buddy exactly and so I, i'm all in favor of uh discounts as a negotiation tool yeah so but you got to get something out of it and otherwise you really are hurting yourself and i've, I've certainly been on the receiving end uh i've sold to big multinationals and when you're talking to procurement department, it's different because yeah. they only care about getting, they have to get a discount in order yeah. to get their jobs paid. But if you've done a good job on that um, anchoring to their initiative thing, you can say, why are you asking for a discount? We already agreed that you're going to get fired if you don't do this thing. Right. Do you want the thing? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd always have a couple of points available yeah, to save it. face. But yeah. um, a big steep discount is just, devaluing what you're offering yeah and it and to your point like and every that like the thing about discount selling that drives me fucking crazy is that everybody knows the discount doesn't go away especially in SaaS. it's like you know i've had kids call me like i've been in the middle of the sales process kids have done a really good job right and i'm and i told them i'm look i'm gonna buy it's just not right now it's not a priority like i, I will get this by the end of the month or next month or something like that and then they call up and they say 20 percent, 30 percent, whatever if you sign today and, and, and the way it pans out most of the time is you offer that discount. Maybe that person says yes. Maybe, yeah, you know what? Fine. I'll, I'll go early if I can get that 30%. And then what happens is the end of the month comes, right? Mm-hmm. And that person, it was supposed to be on a Friday. They were supposed to sign that contract, right? And guess what happens at the end of the month? The same exact thing that happens in your company at the end of the month is happening in their company at the end of the month. So the chaos of closing happens on both sides, but their side is focused on other closes. You're trying to focus on them. So what happens is they inherently get busy. Then Friday comes and goes, and lo and behold, they don't respond. Then Monday, what happens is they'll call you back and, oh, so sorry. Oh, it was the end of the month. It was batshit crazy. Uh, we're ready to move forward here. So can we still get that discount? <laughs> yeah. Once it's on the table, I would, 
I, I would be furious if they said, well, I wouldn't buy it because they, right. the guy already told me this is what it's worth to me. Right. Your business is worth 20% less than I told you earlier. Yeah. And people try to play the hard line. Oh no, the discount expired. So, cause you got to do, you get, now you're an asshole as a sales rep either way. Right. Cause you either have to go to your boss and say, Hey boss, can, can we extend that discount a little, just a little bit? They promise they'll buy today. Or you got to go tell the client that no, sorry, that expired. And shut up. Like, w- w- like what did your profitability change over the weekend? Like, yeah. psh- like yeah. fine. Then I'll just wait till, you know what I'll, what I'll do is I'll wait till the end of next quarter to, as a matter of fact, exactly. Exactly. and then I'm just going to, Turn those screws even worse. So yeah. piss off on on discounting. Like I, I actually have a fundamental policy of not discounting unless there's circumstances. Um, but I, I just straight up say I just want to be upfront here. If you're looking for a discount, we're probably not that. Like if you don't see the value in what I bring to the table here, like then we're probably not a good fit for what you're looking for. And uh, totally, I sell sell the discount because I mean I'm case studies of gold, right? So yeah. if you say I will give you, I will sell you a discount. If you agree to spend 10 hours with me on a, a really detailed case study, yeah. now that's worth a thousand dollars to me or you know, whatever yeah. the, whatever the value is. Well, I lo- and, and I, hopefully people heard how you phrase that by the way, because when you say I'm going to pay you in the form of a discount, now it's coming out of your pocket. You know what I mean? Like I'm now, it's not a discount just because our, you know, we're cutting off the like top it. and we got tons of margin. Like I'm actually paying you in the form of a discount because it's coming out of my pocket, right? And yes, and I want to get into your point, case studies. Absolutely, I will get a case study. If somebody wants to sit down and actually go through the metrics of what the, you know, train, that totally worth it for me. I Have you ever read uh, Todd Capone's uh, Transparency Sale? Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite books, actually. He go. came into Portland last month and yeah. I... Yeah, I'm not often starstruck, but yeah. I, I have his book and I was like, Todd, can we meet before your thing? Yeah. So we met at a Starbucks and I had him sign my book and I had, uh, I had post-it notes in and everything. Yeah. And yeah, we, we, we talked a lot about, because um, he's big on transparency and mutual yeah. action plans. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we had a, we had a total uh, love fest of uh, mutual it. action plans and don't discount. He has a, like a three-way discount process. I forget yeah. what it is, but yeah. Uh, Definitely. Uh, I'd say that's a fantastic book. I want to be a salesperson when I grow up. Fantastic book. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah there, there's some real, there's some classics out there that can really just, and the other thing I like about Todd is that he doesn't use the super cheesy sales right. anecdotes right. in like, obviously made up. He has a couple of right. real life ones from when he was in sales yep. and they just come through a lot more genuinely. Well, and I and the beauty again, transparency. So I think his three way thing is: look, here's the levers. I know you want a yes, discount. The, the levers, that's right. Right? Yeah. He's like, I know you want a discount. So here's the deal. Here's what's important to me: uh, payment up front, like early payment helps. Okay, if I can get paid sooner, that I'm worth paying for that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, length of contract. So if you want to, if you if it, like relation, long term relationships are important to me. So I'll pay for that. And um, the other one is is obviously the quantity, right? So the size of the deal. So if you're willing to, so if you want to increase the size of the deal, increase the length of the deal, or work on payment terms, those are the those are the three levers that I have. So yeah. which which ones can we play with? And then it becomes this collaborative effort with the client to say, oh well, maybe if we did a two year and we paid fifty percent up front, what would that get me? Well, that'll get you, you know, ten twelve percent. Yeah. Okay. Right. So now we're working together where I think a lot of people make the mistake is they start with, well, could you do a bigger deal? No. Uh, how about a longer term contract? No. Uh, how about upfront payment? No. Right. So he's yeah. like, here's everything. Let's talk about it. 
right? I, I, uh, his act, the book is cool because the cover is transparent. Yeah, that's, exactly. the, that's the coolest part about that book. I love it. Awesome, man. Well, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's other conversations I'd love to get in with you, uh, but, you know, about ROI calculations and those type of things, because I know you yeah. speak, you know, you've done a lot of work on those, but um, I think just in uh, timing wise, right, keep this to 30, 30, 40 minutes. Um, what any any parting thoughts that, that you want the, you know, the audience to think about or, or how they should be thinking about controlling the process a little bit more uh, or, or any other other things you want them to make sure that they walk away with? Yes. Yeah, so, so my one walk away is try doing a mutual action plan on your own just with take like five key milestones and put them in an email and say does this look right with your buying process because this is what we normally have to do and include the external dates in those milestones of the things that are important in their initiatives yeah and then focus on the close of the deal is when they get their value and i promise you will have uh, a, an enjoyable conversation with that client because they are going to come back to you saying, huh, thank you. So, so Tana McDermott at WorkEva, she said, no buyer has ever argued with clear expectations. Yeah. They, they want that. They don't want to be jacked. They want to have a low risk relationship. And here's what I'm going to do is low risk. And yeah. it doesn't need to be, it doesn't, you know, please do buy deal point software as well, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you don't need deal point software to, to do this stuff, just communicate with your customer and they will love you for it. Um, and just try it. Just literally try it. Like I said earlier, I think, I think expectation setting is, is, is the key to life in the sense that, you know, if, if, if you can pick it, if you can think of anything recently that you were pissed off about, right. I mean, pick anything. I almost guarantee it's because your expectations were misset, right. In your head, either you misset your own expectations Right. Or whoever it was that you were dealing with said, and and the easy, perfect example here is like, you know, last one I'll make is, is, you know, you go to a restaurant, right? You know, the restaurant's bananas busy. It's a Friday night, seven o'clock, just the craziest (laughs) stuff. Right. And, and you finally get your seat. Right. And there's two options that a a, a waiter can have, a waiter or waitress can have when they, when they address you. Right. The first option is they come up to you and they say, Tom, I'm so, thank you so much for coming in today. We are absolutely slammed. It's going to take me about 15 minutes to come over and take your order. Right. So I'll get you some water and bread and and that type of thing to make sure, but it's going to take, I I apologize. It's going to take 15 minutes. Right. You're not happy with that, but you're like, whatever. I I get it. You know, it's, it's busy. Uh, So that's option one. Option two is, um, the waiter doesn't say anything to you and comes over in 15 minutes. Now, well, well, they say, I'll be right with you. And then they're not for 15 minutes. Exactly. Now you get the exact same result. Okay. 15 minutes. The the first waiter came to take your order. Second waiter came to take your exact same result. Which one are you happier with? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to know. And all day be, have a schedule. I like it when you're on hold and they say you are number 27 in the line and it's going to be 18 minutes. Love that's that. so much better than it could be any time. Oh, that's I, I can't. Oh, I go, or you know, my favorite these days is hey, you, you like push a button here and we'll call you back when you're yeah. re- like when it's like, oh my god, thank you so much. I, I do like, right? I like, and they're like, and we promise we will call you. <laughs> yeah. I, I promise. The exactly. other guys, we're not going to call him first. Fuck that. We're, <laughs> we're going to call you next. You I swear to god, you have not lost your person. <laughs> I love it. Awesome, Tom. I love it. It was a great conversation. Hopefully everybody got as much value out of it as I did. Um, Tom, how can they find out more about you, DealPoint, all that stuff? Where do, where do you want to point them these days? Yeah, DealPoint.io is the easiest because uh, 
Uh, I actually have a LinkedIn group called People Call Tom Williams Who Do Sales and Marketing. There are 7,000 people who do sales and marketing whose name is Tom Williams. So it's <laughs> no not way. easy to find me on there, although I am connected to you. So if you look yeah. at Tom Williams through you yeah. uh, or DealPoint on LinkedIn or right. DealPoint.io, uh, that's, that's where I'm at. Brilliant. Awesome, Tom. Well, thank you so much for coming on board. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much, John. No problem. And everybody out there, hopefully, like I said, you got as much value out of it as I did. And like I say every time, if you had a bad day, no matter how bad your day went, if you go and do one thing, just go make somebody smile today, right? Because if you make somebody smile, I don't care how bad your day was, you had a good day, right? If it made a big difference in And get lives. 1% better. I love that. There you go, right? Ooh, I one, love that idea. 1% better, and that makes it easy, right? Because if I were to tell you to get 50% better in 50 days, like you'd look at me sideways. You're like, dude, are you out of your mind? I'm going crazy right now. But if I say, hey, could you do 1% better tomorrow? Make one extra cold call, ask one extra question. You get 50% better. So, yeah, that's what we're trying to figure out, how to, how to get a little bit better every day. So thanks again, Tom. Uh, everybody, have a great week, uh, and let's make it happen.